0: Welcome to the bonus episode, What's Up With That?, where we are going to be talking about guns, gun rights, and the Second Amendment. My name is Marty Nader.
1: And I'm Katie Francis. I'm Lauren Santoro. I'm
2: Shannon Scoteeth.
0: So we already did a podcast episode about the Second Amendment and the relevant Supreme Court cases that established the legal precedent for what the Second Amendment means and um, where gun rights are in the 21st century in the United States. But just as a quick refresher before we get into our unscripted conversation in this bonus episode, the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of Of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So that's the text of the Second Amendment, uh, but perhaps something that we will talk about in this bonus episode. The original intention, the original motive behind the Second Amendment is quite a bit different from how the Second Amendment is important today uh, to American civil liberties in the 21st century. And now we really just kind of discarded the whole militia part of the Second Amendment and just focus on the last clause, that final part of the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So every country in the world has some type of gun laws or gun policies, but the United States is the only country that I'm aware of at least that has it enshrined in the Constitution, in the U.S. Constitution, guaranteeing people the freedom to own guns, that the government won't take that freedom away. So the United States is a very unique case uh, the world over in that our governments really aren't allowed to restrict gun ownership or gun distribution much at all, whereas many, most of the countries in the world just do not allow people to own guns, Period. So the United States has its own gun policy, gun rights dynamic uh, that is really unparalleled the world over.
1: I think one of the things that's really different about the U.S. gun policy is the whole process to obtain a gun. So if you kind of look at this, um, comparing other other democracies, other countries, um, there's lots of ways that you could regulate, limit, select, change how guns are you know how you get a gun, how you get a registration for a gun, who owns a gun, what they have to go through. In the U.S., it's pretty hands off. It's it's a pretty easy process. There aren't a lot of roadblocks to it, and so that's kind of um, emphasizing that point you made, Marty. That we're not we're, we're not thinking about militias here. So we're not like worried about armed groups getting weapons, kind of. It's not what, when we think about gun control and we talk about it, we're really talking about the individual. So an individual's access, ownership, and use of that weapon is really what's at heart in all these kind of discussions.
3: I think that's a I, I think that's a really good point, Katie, because then that also kind of, um, you know, leads to sort of the points and the rhetoric to make on both sides about gun rights, right? Like, so like how much of it is your, individual right to own a gun. And then how much of it is, you know, what is the government allowed to regulate, right? Because as Marty pointed out, the the last part of the second amendment is saying that it shall not be infringed, right? So that means the government can't take it away. So how much of your, um, how much gun ownership could be taken away? Um, and then also the dimension of, you know, what what kind of weapons? You know are you allowed as well and so that kind of it all gets gray from there i think kind of based on that like individual right um component
1: i think one thing that's so interesting about that is this has really been a debate that's changed over american um political life so it's really didn't even get considered in court until um earliest 20th century for the first time. And then it came back in, you know, in 20, 2000, the 10s, basically. And it's become for a lot of people, uh, a wedge issue has really become a voting issue for um, Certain bases for and against that the parties have hewed pretty closely and pr- very consistently to certain positions, whether they're pro gun control or really pro gun ownership. That's made for um, this to be a topic that is not easy to talk about if you have family or friends, or right? it's not always the one that you want to get into people with because there's a lot of assumptions about what people mean when they talk about. Are you, you know, t- talking about gun? you're take my guns away as something that some people might say, or we're going to like, you know, prevent violence. And it just becomes an issue where how you frame it and how you debate it becomes really contentious. There's lots of things like that in American politics. This is to me, one of those key things.
2: And it's interesting how the party's views of guns, gun rights and gun control, um, can seem inconsistent based upon their broader beliefs or their broader ideology. So if the Republican party is our conservative party and we know that conservatives value order and individual freedom, they frame gun con- the gun issue as an individual freedom issue that people should be able to have a gun with little restrictions as part of their is it second amendment freedoms. And so why is it an individual freedom issue and not an order issue, right? Cause conservatives are also a party that supports uh, that wants government to promote law and order and yet uh, expanding the um, prevalence of guns within communities is not necessarily leading to more order. Although maybe it could, maybe you could frame it as a way for people to uh, defend their homes or you know provide order. Maybe it's not the government that's providing the order but the, the, the people are. And then the Democratic Party liberals um, are ag- against uh, uh, that want to promote gun control and are against um, um, expanding gun rights and gun freedoms. So um, the the liberal side, the, the side that values the equality, um, they're citing they kind of one could see it as siding on the um, uh, the policy as a as a law and order issue.
1: I think that what you're saying is really indicative of, like, if you could hear the way we're all talking about this, you know, we're dancing around the the idea that when... Partly out of concern, I think that we might be offending people who are listening. I don't want them to think of that. You know, like the way that these issues get framed in different ways is really a key tenet of American politics and just political life is that how you frame an issue is really a key strategy for success in a policy. That the framing of an issue, if you can win that, if you can really get people to think about the issue the way you think about it, you can get the outcome you want. This is something that both sides are trying to do with gun ownership and Second Amendment. And how is this a law and order issue? Is this an individual freedom issue? Is this a public safety issue? Is this about like I don't trust the government kind of issue? There's lots of frames we could put on that topic, and we're fighting in politics partly in, a, in the United States because we don't agree on the frame. If you look at a country like Japan, has really strict process for getting a gun and really limited gun ownership, and it's because there was more central acceptance of what that issue, what what talking about gun ownership and what having a gun meant, there was one frame that got stuck to the issue and that made it easier for a certain policy outcome to occur. I think in American politics, we see this on a couple other topics, abortion, immigration, the fight over how we frame that issue is paramount and has not been decided. I'm not saying that it's going to be decided at any time or like a certain way, but I think we're living in that tension still.
0: Let's set up the, the frame or the alternative framings of this gun Second Amendment conversation for listeners who aren't very familiar with it. I think the sure. four of us have uh, been very well acquainted and are familiar with the arguments on both sides and the both domestic and comparative policy positions on gun control. But some of our listeners might have no idea how this is a political issue. Uh, so I am going to unilaterally declare myself the the podcaster today that's going to establish the, the pro-gun position, the pro-gun argument in the United States, uh, and then I'll leave it up to the three of you to piece together the, the gun control perspective, or gun control issue, that frame of this. Uh, so, stemming from the Second Amendment, from the words itself, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, one of the very popular and dominant frames of the gun debate, the gun conversation in this country, uh, is individual freedom, is liberty. The Constitution gives people the freedom to own guns and prohibits the government from restricting that. So this is con- this is considered and seen as a freedom issue, on par with freedom of speech or freedom of religion or freedom of the press. Our freedom to own guns defines who we are as Americans. People can own guns for hunting purposes or protecting their farms. People can own guns for sporting purposes, liking to go trap shooting or target shooting. People can own guns because it's personal defense. You're protecting your home from intruders or from threats. Some people like to own guns because they like collecting them. It's a very interesting technology, uh, wherein the United States of America has really been at the forefront of advancing a firearm technology since the beginning. Uh, So it's an American pastime to buy guns, collect guns, own them, pass them down. And I also think there's another aspect to gun ownership and gun culture in this country that really sees guns as an insurance policy. Uh, That if the government isn't there to protect me or safeguard society, I need guns to protect myself, to protect my family, to protect my property, to protect what I care about. And this freedom to own guns, as many guns as you want, for whatever purpose you want, that is sacred to a lot of Americans. That is very important to who they are, to what they like to do for fun. It's very important to the culture that they grew up in in the United States. So to a lot of people, guns are just a normal part of American life. They're a normal, innocuous aspect of our culture that's not considered a threat, not considered dangerous, not considered hazardous to public safety. It's a freedom we have, and it's a freedom that we enjoy. So people who subscribe to this frame in the gun conversation, in the gun debate, can sometimes sound very defensive. But really, they see that as defending their freedom, as defending a freedom the Constitution gives them. They don't really understand how there could be anyone in this country who would want to take that freedom away.
3: So Marty just talked about sort of gun culture and individual right. And I think sort of the general opposing argument is like, okay, that's great, but there are people that are using guns for nefarious reasons, right? Um, To carry out crime, to carry out violence, to carry out domestic violence, um, mass shootings, um, shootings of young children. Um, So there's all of these public safety issues that need to be addressed. And that overwhelming public safety issue trumps the individual freedom issue, right? So there needs to be policies that limit or regulate your ability to own a gun and the types of guns that you are able to own.
1: Right. I think... There is not, it's not very frequently that we see people in American politics say that that the side opposed to gun ownership making that Second Amendment argument. Some people do, right? Some people say, well, this is a misreading of the Second Amendment. This is about the Second Amendment was really concerned about state versus federal government, militias, and that this never was about, you know, individuals and individual gun ownership. There is historical precedence for that argument, but that's not usually like you were outlining, Lauren, the counter arguments that are made. A lot of times that there is this pointing out about the levels of gun violence or violence committed with guns in the United States compared to the rest of the world is is pretty astounding that there's a very large difference. People will point out that there that kind of the arguments that some psych, social psychologists will kind of with some data can suggest that even a, the presence of a gun in the home increases the likelihood of violence or increases someone's um just their hostility. There's some, they'll make arguments like that, but I think it really comes down, um, the argument you hear frequently, particularly after there's been some horrific act of violence, like a school shooting, is that these are weapons that are really, um, Create vulnerabilities to the public good, to public safety, to public well-being. That there's, you know, we've gotten a little bit a nerd to like the idea that I could go into a movie theater and I'm always looking for the emergency exit, or a kind of like scope out where, if I had to get out of a building, where that would be. I think that's kind of the idea of the the potential harm, the potential threat, the potential vulnerability created by the the people who are untrustworthy, maybe un. Unsuited to owning these weapons of destruction that I think that's a very strong and poignant counter argument brought to bear um in this discussion
3: yeah I think i think what how you've um or how we've described the two frames and the two different sides of the argument really is interesting because it's it's um we're co- sort of giving the public policy talking points, mm-hmm. I think, right? And the interesting thing in, in in this course, in general, or is that we're mostly looking at the legal aspects. So, how much of the amendment can be, um, or like, what interpretations of the of the Second Amendment um, fly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that often is looking back at the original intent right and 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 that's sort of the flip side of this right so we haven't really talked i guess because you know we've already talked about it in the episodes um talking about the supreme court cases and stuff but i mean really that's uh um sort of the other side of the coin here right is sort of what is their original intent because that doesn't really get brought up in the policy
0: debates An interesting thing about the gun debate, the gun conversation in the United States, is that it's between two competing frames of the issue that, in my personal opinion, are both very reasonable, are both reasonable and both supported by something beyond just raw emotion. So on the, the pro-gun side, you have the text of the Second Amendment. You have hundreds of years of American history, of a frontier culture, of guns being a part of the American experience. This is a freedom we have. We shouldn't give up any of our freedoms. It's a very reasonable argument, an argument uh, that is uh, very much echoes the, the First Amendment arguments about freedom of speech and freedom of religion and of the press. But on the the, the pro-gun control, you might want to call it the anti-gun perspective, there's also a very reasonable position of guns are a threat to public safety. Guns are designed to kill things. That's why they were invented. So if everyone has a gun that enables them to easily kill or harm other people, that's going to be a very obvious and apparent threat to public safety. Even just the the fear of of guns being in public, that can threaten public safety, people's sense of well-being. Uh, So this gun conversation gets so difficult because you have two reasonable frames and arguments on each side of the debate, and there's a temptation to only see one of those frames, one of those arguments, as being reasonable, as being something worthy of consideration. But I think the gun conversation gets even more interesting when you accept the premise that both sides in this conversation have a good point. Both sides in this conversation have a foundation to stand on in making their point. And that can complicate the matter. Because the Second Amendment, it's not going anywhere. It's not going away. The right to keep and bear arms, that is going to be here for the foreseeable future. But, Guns continue to kill people all the time in the United States and will continue to kill people all the time in the United States. So having to live with that reality, the reality that we currently know, can be unsettling to a lot of people. So a freedom that we all have just so happens to kill tens of thousands of Americans every year, whereas other countries around the world don't have this problem because they don't have the guns just looked up the data on how many guns there are in the United States, and the most recent numbers I could find were there are 394 million guns in private civilian possession in this country. There are more guns than there are people. I'm not positive, but I'm fairly sure that we're the only country in the world that can Mm -hmm. say that, that we have more privately owned civilian guns than we have people. So, When you start with that as your basis, that we have a lot of guns in this country and the only way to get rid of gun violence is to get rid of the guns, that's kind of a non-starter. There's just no logistical way to round up 394 million guns to make this country safe. Not only is that logistically infeasible, a lot of people with guns are not going to peaceably give those guns up. You're not going around, you know, confiscating people's six packs of beer. You're trying to confiscate weapons that are designed to kill people that pose a threat. So we're in this catch-22 of where we can't restrict the freedom of gun ownership because we don't want to and it'd be legally too difficult to do. We also can't just exist with the current situation of guns just proliferating, being out there in people's hands who aren't mentally stable enough to use them because this is how we end up with multiple mass shootings a year or uh, tens of thousands of gun homicides and even more gun suicides every year. So the current status quo is untenable. We can't really do anything about it because anything we would potentially try to do to reduce gun deaths and gun violence would be an infringement on the right of the people to keep and bear arms.
1: I think that analogy, Marty, of compensating people's six-packs is a really good one because I think there's a really um, interesting parallel discussion that could happen here about um, um, prohibition. So, you know, in the United States, we did actually constitutionally add an amendment that banned the sale of all alcohol, and they did go and, you know, confiscate liquor um, of different kinds, and this sometimes prompts people to say, well, you know, if we did get rid of it, well, what happened is that there would just be a black market for guns, like the way there was a black market for alcohol. And there was, you know, all these um, people distilling their own alcohol, you know, sometimes they got very ill or died, but also just, there were all these, you know, pubs that were under the radar and it happened anyways, right? And so if you think about that like roaring 20s culture where people go to the speakeasies and they were it was illegal and they were, you know, there was this whole culture built around it. I think sometimes people bring that into this discussion of of these in this discussion of policy ends, what kind of world do we want to live in? One where we can or cannot have weapons, you know, and how that would people bring in, but how would it work? And they bring in these kind of thoughts about can i mean like you said it's it's not alcohol um now you know there were many violent and kind of armed groups that controlled the sale of alcohol at the time and it, even that wasn't easy but it's really just fundamentally a little bit different if you're going and seizing weapons the fears that that would spark or the concerns that this is just not tenable it's not a policy that could happen that sometimes gets raised too
0: Katie's point that often a talking point that gets brought up in the gun control conversation is that if you take guns away from legal gun owners, and the only people who will have guns are people who own guns illegally, and that's precisely what we're trying to stop. We're trying to stop uh, people who have guns and intend to use them for illegal or malicious activity. I think another important piece of information, particularly that the pro-gun proponents can make in this country, is that there are 390-some million guns, and so 99.999% of guns are never going to be used to commit a crime or to kill somebody. So the overwhelming majority of gun owners in this country are law-abiding citizens who are never going to use their guns to hurt anybody else. And yet we're willing to consider taking guns away from everybody because there are mass shootings or there's gang violence or homicides that use guns. Uh, So for every prohibition you create, you also create an underground. So if the idea is that we can just confiscate guns and make them illegal and gun violence will go away – Um, That's probably not going to be true. Most people who own guns legally never use them for illegal purposes. People who own guns illegally, who get their guns on the black market, that makes up a large percentage of homicides uh, and murders caused by gang violence in this country. So no law is going to take those guns away. Uh, So then we're kind of left back at square one. If we're trying to reduce gun violence and gun deaths – Taking away legal guns will reduce suicide rates and will reduce domestic violence, which are all good things. But still, you can't do any of those things if you don't repeal the Second Amendment. And that's not going to happen. So what can we do to address gun violence and gun deaths in this country if the Constitution makes it so that we really can't do anything comparable to what other countries have done with their own gun laws? I find myself um, really being in two worlds on this issue. Uh, I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin, so hunting and sport shooting and gun collecting were just commonplace. That wasn't considered odd at all. But I also understand that you know after <clears throat> decades of experiencing you know, mass shootings in this country and high murder rates, having gun death rates that rival most of the rest of the world combined – I can completely understand that this is a public health issue that other countries have already resolved long ago. We just don't let people own guns, bang, no gun deaths. We've resolved the problem in this country, because we let people own guns pretty much whatever gun they want. And however many they want, We just have to accept that about 50 to 60,000 Americans are going to have to die every year as a result of gun violence. And it's an awkward position to take to be like, well, that's just the necessary sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Tens of thousands of people are just going to have to die so that we can protect this cherished liberty of gun ownership. So it's a real catch-22 pickle to be in. Because freedom is a good thing. We shouldn't sacrifice freedom. But also the freedom to own guns that cause death on a large scale is something that everyone else in the world regulates and we don't.
2: And this is a good example of the kind of trade-offs people are willing to make when it comes to pursuing their favorite policy. Are we willing to give up uh, freedom if it creates more order and safety and public safety and improves um, uh, our statistics in terms of gun violence, or are we willing to give up some order if it leads to more freedom? And so, I mean, there's, it's really hard to um, say that one is better than the other or one is more necessary than the other. And I think that when um, somebody who is a proponent of gun freedom and gun rights would say that having allowing the freedom to have guns leads to more order because um it ensures that people are getting guns legally that they're not getting it on the black market that um it allows people to defend their homes uh, it decreases you know maybe the chances of a robbery occurring if people know that homeowners have uh are protecting their property and so then the other side of it is you know um that having guns um lessens freedom, because if people are afraid that um, there's gonna be guns when they go to the grocery store or when they go to a restaurant, that decreases uh, people's freedom to um, go where they want to and feel safe where they are. Um, And so this is a a big debate that we have to think about when we're thinking about these issues and what what an incredibly complicated
3: issue (laughs) I'm seeing yeah and I think i i I'm kind of struck by um our current um, conversation right now because this seems to be you know a common theme for this debate, the abortion debate for even legalizing drugs or um, as Katie was saying like prohibition, right like most Americans are somewhere in the middle because of. Their personal experience with it, right? So it's really the the folks that are fighting in the interest groups and sort of the ones that are most vocal about it are um, kind of going full throttle into the, into the frames that we just described. Um, and for people who are really thoughtful and thinking about, you know, what are the pros and cons of each issue? Um, you know, you you have to kind of arrive somewhere in the middle, and it's really difficult to do that, especially when the people who are creating uh, policy and writing up legislation are pretty polarized, right? So there's no there's no person um, in Congress or in state legislatures that's like in the middle trying to <laughs> trying to get the Get get a good compromise, right? It's really it's really hard to get in the middle and get and get a good compromise.
0: Another interesting part of this debate, this gun policy debate, is that um, you know pro gun advocates, they're already well aware of the many gun regulations that the United States Congress and various state legislatures have already imposed on the right to keep and bear arms. So the men who wrote the Second Amendment to the Constitution back in 1791, guns to them were single-bullet, muzzle-loaded weapons that once you fired, you couldn't reload them quickly. Uh, So in that type of situation, the men who wrote, who authored the the text of the Second Amendment— They probably never even considered the prospect of mass shootings or anything like that because the technology just did not exist. Whereas in the 20th and 21st centuries, firearms technology progressed to the point where a civilian could buy an automatic weapon that could fire 200 bullets in a minute. Uh, And that type of weapon in civilian hands poses a huge threat to society. Uh, So in the 20th century... Congress passed all sorts of laws limiting the types of guns that people could own, the types of guns that arms manufacturers could sell on the civilian market, how you go about purchasing a gun, how old you have to be, universal background checks. If people have a criminal record at all, they can have their guns taken away. Uh, Certain guns in certain areas are not allowed, not allowed to openly carry a gun in certain spaces or on private property. So there's already all sorts of regulation and restrictions on the right of the people to keep and bear arms, and to a lot of people who care a lot about gun ownership, they feel as though the existing restrictions on this liberty are already too much, and that the Second Amendment says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So if we pass laws that say you can't own a gun that can shoot 300 rounds in a minute— that's infringing upon the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Or if you previously were you know, convicted of a felony and have your guns taken away and you can no longer buy guns, you are again infringing on that right to own guns. Or you can't bring your loaded pistol to the shopping mall. Hey, again, you're restricting my freedoms. Uh, so, we've really done as much as we possibly can in trying to restrict ownership of guns and access to guns and where people can bring these guns. And even many of those types of laws and restrictions have subsequently been found unconstitutional, have been found to infringe upon this right to keep and bear arms too much. So, A lot of uh, policy entrepreneurs in this country will look to other countries. Katie mentioned Japan. Uh, Most European countries have a near total ban on private possession of guns. We look at these countries and say, well, hey, their version of a gun control law works, and they have zero murders a year by guns. Why can't we do that in this country? Not only are those policies not popular enough to pass in this country, uh, but, again, the Second Amendment – doesn't make it easy, doesn't really even make it possible for any type of gun control legislation to, to be effective. Uh, so we're left with a bunch of undesirable options of other courses of action we can take to try to reduce the amount of gun violence and gun death in this country. And some of those proposals include just arming everyone, letting everyone have guns wherever they want to go, because if everyone else has guns, then murderers and mass shooters are going to be deterred from bringing a gun into public for fear of getting shot down too quickly. That's a really crazy position for a developed country like the United States to be in, that we can't do what every other developed country has done with guns. So instead, we just have to go to the other extreme with it as a way of potentially keeping people safe From guns. More guns. Uh, So, this conversation very quickly gets off the rails in American politics. because You can either be accused of wanting to take away everyone's guns and repeal the Second Amendment, or you can be accused of being in favor of mass murder and allowing crazy people to have whatever guns they want. Which, neither of those is true, but in a passioned conversation like this, hyperbole and exaggeration are to be expected. Well, very good. That was our bonus episode. What's up with that episode about guns, gun rights, gun policy, and the Second Amendment. Well, thank you all for another interesting conversation. Thanks,
1: Thanks, everyone. Thank you.